People talk about the man in the mirror and they talk about being a better person. I just want to make sure I don't go all in on chocolate chip pancakes at the diner down the street. <laughs> this is Marshall. What's up? Welcome to Stuffed. Just days away from Selection Sunday 2020, I gave a State of March address last week on this program, but now we are entering new territory, not just for college basketball, but for our country. Because early in the day on Tuesday, we got word that the Ivy League was canceling its conference tournament due to coronavirus. What does that mean moving forward? What does that mean for the 2020 NCAA tournament? What does it mean for other conference tournaments this week? A wise person told me a long time ago, never to speculate on speculation. So I'm not going to speculate on speculation. I'm just going to remind all of you what I learned from a dear friend of mine, Art Lovely. He told me in a very simple way a couple years ago that every day is a gift. And that is the message I want to share with you here as we get set to embark on the greatest journey that we have in sports. Appreciate every day. Appreciate what you have and appreciate being able to go through this NCAA tournament run because you never know when another one may come. Every day is a gift, especially when you're in college basketball. And if every day is a gift, and if every day is an opportunity to get better at your craft, to be better as a human being, to do things for other people, then each and every day is a day that we need to capitalize. And on Stuffed, we don't just capitalize, we transcend. And on Stuffed, we don't just transcend, we redefine what's going on in the space. Because whether you like it or you don't like it, we cover the sport that's the best thing going today. Anybody else want a nosh? Let's check the menu. We're going to check out some of the biggest stories in college basketball here at the top in the New York Minute. We're also going to visit with Rutgers head coach Steve Peichel on our coach's call after the Scarlet Knights' big win at Purdue on Saturday. We'll then also check in with Florida State senior Trent Forrest as the Seminoles are on the heels of winning the ACC regular season title. We'll also do a visit with Brad Wachtel as part of the Hustlemania hotline. He is one of the biggest rising stars in the world of bracketology and also give you some late-night snacks you can't get anywhere else. Now, let's check some major stories in college basketball in a New York Minute. All right, first off the top right now, Dayton will be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if the Flyers win the Atlantic 10 tournament this week in Brooklyn. I spoke to Anthony Grant on Monday. He is operating with the focus of a surgeon. He's told me he hasn't even broached the topic with his team of being a number one seed in the field of 68. San Diego State lost last week to Utah State in the Mountain West Conference tournament title game, but this loss is a blessing in disguise for the Aztecs. Why? If San Diego State won this game, they would have been the number one seed in the East region. That means if the Aztecs won their first two NCAA tournament games, they would have had to fly cross country and play at Madison Square Garden in the Sweet 16 and potentially the Elite Eight. Now as a potential two seed in the West, if San Diego State can win its first two games, the Aztecs will then play regional games in Los Angeles at the Staples Center. And lastly, I know that parity 
has been the main theme of this college basketball season, but there is one team that's been clearly above the rest, and that's Kansas. Kansas will be a heavy favorite to win the national championship. The Jayhawks have just three losses this year. All three defeats came when the Jayhawks were not at full strength. All these basketball talks, all this stuff about the NCAA tournament has me excited for a little bit of lunch. Let's call up the dino. Let's get some stuff in. Time now to stay sharp from our friends at PointsBet. March is here. College basketball is heating up. And with the big tourney around the corner, it's the perfect time to start betting with the PointsBet Sportsbook. They've got the fastest sports betting app in the world, and they have some promos that will blow your mind for the tournament. Fans in New Jersey, Iowa, and Indiana can download the PointsBet app and sign up with the code STUFF. If you deposit $10, you'll get $100 in bonus bets. Think about that for a second. Terms and conditions apply. New Jersey, Iowa, and Indiana only. Must be 21 Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Points bet. Stay sharp. And time now to look at the biggest comebacks of last week in college basketball. Oklahoma came back from 20 down in Fort Worth to beat TCU thanks to Austin Reeves. Remember, it's not anarchy. It's just college basketball. In Gainesville, Kentucky was down 18, beat Florida on the road without Ashton Hagens. College basketball, where the unexpected becomes the ordinary. How about what we saw at Arch Madness? Valpo down 18 against Loyola Chicago. The top two seeds in that conference tournament, Northern Iowa and Loyola Chicago, out in the quarterfinals. That epitomizes March Madness. Florida State down 13 in South Bend against Notre Dame. No deficit seems too insurmountable for the Seminoles. Remember, they had that big comeback a couple of weeks ago at home against Louisville. And then what about what happened in Las Vegas thanks to Sam Merrill, Nemish Caden Company. Utah State down eight against San Diego State. Comes back, wins the game, back-to-back Mountain West Conference tournament titles for the Aggies. And remember... This isn't anarchy. It's just college basketball. If you're not excited right now for what's ahead, you officially hate fun. Time now for our coach's call with a man who pounds nails each and every day as Rutgers team had an unbelievable victory on Saturday against Purdue. We now welcome in Steve Peichel, the head coach of Rutgers. But Steve, before you were the head coach at Rutgers and the head coach of Stony Brook, you were both a player and an assistant coach at UConn under Jim Calhoun. What was that like? I tell you what, one, you know, some of the greatest memories, first of all, that I have and, and, his mentorship during, you know, my coaching career has been unbelievable. And how about the guys winning like 28 games in a row at St. Joseph's and going to the NCAA tournament in the second year having boys even on campus. So it's the second year even having uh, having boys at that university. So, uh, I mean, great experience. I mean, he's the best. And, and I was there at the very beginning. So I was part of his first recruiting class. You know, and people knew UConn as Yukon in Alaska. They would ask us uh, if, if that's where we were from. It, it's come a long way. That program, they wins four national championships in 19, I think 19 or 20 Big East championships. And, uh, you know, but to have him and play under him and to be a part of the beginning of that, it's been unbelievable Yukon uh, memories. And, and, and Coach Calhoun still being a huge part of my life, you know, on, on the daily. He calls me after every game. So, like, just – Awesome to have a guy like that that's been through so much and has won at every level he's been at um, just to be, be a huge guy that I could call on. What are the biggest things that you learned from Coach Calhoun that you see right now in your Rutgers team this season? Oh, you know, I, I really toughness, like grit and toughness. Um, you know, I learned so much from him, too, you know, about 
having cores that you believe in and, you know, you got to be good at something. I remember him saying in those meetings all the time, like everyone wants to be good at everything. He goes, you better be good at something before you're good at everything. <laughs> you know, and, and I think back to, you know, we just won our 20th game, um, you know, the other day. And uh, I remember being in a meeting with him and, and I was talking about other coaches that won 20 games for the first time. And he says, do it seven or eight more times and then come back and talk to me about that coach. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely sounds like him. Yeah, the consistency of what he did and, and like, you know, the first time you win 20 games, that's not – call me back in, in seven years when you've done it seven more times and we'll talk about how good – you know, so some of those lessons that, you know, you take from a guy like him who's just battled everything, you know, battles referees, battles cancer, battles, <laughs> you, know, big, you know, big East coaches, battles players, you know, that guy's just amazing and, and – uh, uh, you know, a lot of those lessons I've been able to talk about with my team, too, you know. Well, Steve, your 20th win this season at Rutgers was incredibly dramatic. It was Saturday's triumph at Purdue. You've had a lot of impressive victories during your head coaching career. You had one at Stony Brook a couple of years ago that put you in the NCAA tournament for the first time. But I'm curious, where does Saturday's win at Purdue rank among the best wins that Steve Peichel has had as a head coach? You know, when I think about big wins, I always just think about the players and, um, you know, they're, they're the wins and, and they're the guys that, you know, did the work. And, uh, you know, and Jameel Warney was in the office yesterday because he's back from a little break from playing in yeah. Korea. So I saw him and the job he did in that championship game for us. And, you know, I think about the plays that all these guys made. Geo Baker made a, you know, and Ron Harper makes the big three, you know. Shaq Carter gets the big stop at the end and Jacob Young and all the different things. So I don't really rank wins. I mean, I know it was an important one. First of all, uh, Purdue is a program, tremendous respect for it. And since day one, I've been in this league, been the most amazed at how hard it is to win on the road at Purdue. Yeah. I mean, their environment is spectacular. They got a great program. That's as hard a place to play as you can play in the country. And then you throw on senior day too. Um, so, you know, just happy for our guys, you know, but every win is big here when you're building programs and, um, none, none are bigger than the other. You got to have them all, and, and, and you know, to keep playing, you got to have them all. You know, Steve, you mentioned the players that put together an incredible effort in that win at Purdue. The core nucleus of this team at Rutgers is not made of a group of players that were incredibly highly recruited and highly rated coming out of high school, but you and your staff did an unbelievable job evaluating each and every piece that you've brought to Piscataway. Do you think right now your team in a lot of ways is a microcosm and a reflection of why it's important to evaluate with your eyes versus maybe a recruiting rank? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of it. I'm blessed. You know, Brandon Knight is a great assistant. You know, he was a great player in the Big East. Carl Hobbs was, a, you know, has been a great head coach. Um, Steve Hain is my other assistant. He was Division II Coach of the Year. Um, you know, and then I got a whole host of other guys, you know, Shoes Vitrone, and they do an unbelievable job. But I think what we tried to do here was try to get some players that want to take on the challenge of helping us rise the program. And it's not for everybody, you know, and, and there's other programs that have, you know, been successful and been to NCAA tournaments. We weren't one of those programs when we took it over. We tried to get kids here that wanted to help raise the program. And I'm thankful that these guys that are on the roster took on that challenge. You know, they could have went to other places. They could have went to places that have been to more tournaments and had had more success. But they wanted to come to it's a great university. They wanted to come to a great university and play in a program that was on the rise. And 
trying to do things for the first time. And, um, you know, evaluation is a big part of it. Heart is a big part of it. How much drive and determination they have. And now we built a brand new facility here that I'm in, $117 million facility, which helps them get better. We've gotten a bunch of players that, that want those things, Ron Harper and Paul Mulcahy and, yeah. and those kind of guys that want to take on that responsibility. So I'm proud that they took on a challenge. They could have went other places that, you know, they go to the tournament every year, you know, like and, and they, they do things every year, win 20 games every year. But this wasn't one of those. And those guys had the courage to take on and they had the belief in themselves. And, and, and I'm thankful for that. Well, you have to have belief in yourself to take Rutgers to the cusp of the NCAA tournament. You have done that, in my opinion, in a very short amount of time. I remember at your opening press conference at Rutgers, you said, I want to dance. I have to ask you, though, do you think you put Rutgers in position to dance maybe sooner than you anticipated, considering the circumstances in which you took over the job? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's such never like a timeline for any of that stuff. It's so hard to get your program in a position, especially in the best league in the country, you know, to dance. But, you know, we've beaten a lot of teams and we've beaten them by some good margins, too. And uh, this team has never said, you know, die on any game, road trip, anything. We're in every game against the best of the best. I'm just proud we keep developing as a program. I'm proud, you know, we played seven quad one games, no one in the country down the stretch. And four of those were on the road, and you know you got to you, you got to win those games. And now we're going to play another quad one game coming up here, you know, with Michigan. So we played the, as tough a schedule as anyone. These guys are four, and and I tell you what, two John Prop, they're really good students. Yeah, like we got a three team EPA, and the rack is jumping, and basketball in New Jersey is is the talk of the town. And and, and you know, I'm proud of that. When I first took over the program, there was no talk like that. And, you know, but it's been a lot of people. My AD's done an unbelievable job. The community, the students come out. They pack the place. I mean, our student section is as good as any any in the country. You can't get a ticket. They're waiting in line, you know, and that's all been part of all the hard work of a lot of people other than me that have done a really good job here. And, and that's what it takes to build a program. You need everybody involved. And I've learned that from Jim Calhoun at a, a long time ago. And then as a coach myself at all the different stops I was at. So, I've been very blessed that, you know, this university has, has done a great job embracing our program, and they should. They're great kids. They work hard. And they took on the challenge. Well, you had mentioned for a second there the Michigan game that's looming this week in the Big Ten tournament. To me, Saturday's win at Purdue put you clearly in the NCAA tournament. But I'm curious right now, what is the mindset of your team as you shift gears and now prepare for the Big Ten tournament? You know, I tell you, I told them this the other day. I mean, we're tied for fifth in this league. That's what we did. I know we got the eighth seed because of tiebreakers. We tied for fifth in the best league in the country. And we're now moved up to sixth place in the efficiency, defensive efficiency. Um, and when I took this program over, we were in the 300s, you know, with our defensive efficiency. So, um, you know, really proud. When you're defending with the, the likes of Virginia's and, you know, those kind of programs, the Kansas's, and you're number six, like – we could take our game anywhere, you know, defense travels and, and rebounding. I think we're 18th in the country and being one of the best rebounding teams in the country. So, um, you know, when you do that, you can play anybody. And we've been battle tested against the best. Like and I said, let us into any tournament like this team is ready to is ready to play. There's not a, a bigger team you could face or a team that slows it down like Wisconsin. We face that team that speeds it up like Michigan State. We face that, you know, a team that plays like Penn State. We face that. So. Seton Hall, as good as they are, and the stuff we've we played Seton Hall, you know, and those kind of teams at that level. So 
Um, there's nobody that, you know, our team's certainly going to be afraid of. We're going to embrace the opportunity, whoever we have to play, and we're going to be ready to play. Well, it sounds like you've had a very diverse menu of opponents, and that's a perfect segue to our final question. <laughs> Food, as you know, is a very big part of the show. It's a big part of my life. We've done a lot of research on you. Everybody says Steve Peichel doesn't have any hobbies other than basketball or his family, but I'm curious. If Steve Peichel could have one meal, what would it be? Where would it be? Oh, my Lord. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of good places, uh, especially this time of the year. Never food is ever on my mind, but after the season's over, um, you know, I'm going to have to get to a few restaurants here locally that haven't been had, you know, haven't been to. But Steak 85 down here in Piscataway and down here in New Brunswick is one of the best steakhouses going. And, John, it's on me when you come down. You will say it's one of the best meals you've ever had. So that's the place that we're going to celebrate after the season's over at. All right? And you're invited. And I got it. I got the extension. I got the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Well, Steve, first of all, congratulations on an unbelievable job at Rutgers. Best of luck and safe travels to the Big Ten tournament. And, again, congratulations on making Rutgers nationally relevant and on the cusp of the NCAA tournament for the first time in nearly 30 years. John, I look forward to seeing you. Thank you very much. And I always appreciate you. All right, that's Rutgers head coach Steve Peichel. This is stuff. Don't at me, bro. We sleep in May. We sleep in May. Time now for the portion of the show we call Don't At Me, Bro, but you are kind of adding at me because you're sending your questions on Twitter. Anyway, if you're watching this at home, have a couple of drinks. Who knows? Things will get a little bit more interesting. My jokes will be funnier when you go out in the morning. The buildings will look taller. Let's get to the questions. First question from Andrew Hogan. What is your top five list of bid stealers this week? St. Louis, definitely out of the Atlantic 10. UConn, out of the American. Out of the Pac-12, I look at Washington as being a legitimate bid stealer with Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. After that, it's a little bit dicey. I think North Carolina could obviously win a couple of games at the ACC tournament. But other than that, it's a little bit dicey. Next question comes from Frank Saunders. And it's John Udoka Azabuki won Big 12 Player of the Year and Marcus Garrett won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. But Devon Dotson leads the league in both scoring and assists. Is Devon Dotson National Player of the Year and National Defensive Player of the Year? Dotson, to me, is an All-American. He's a sensational player. I am going with Luca Garza as National Player of the Year. And it was between Garza and Obi Toppin. Here's the difference. Garza is producing right now in the best conference in college basketball with legitimate size on the other team every season single night. Obi Toppin right now is producing on a team in Dayton that's sensational, but as of right now has one projected lock for the NCAA tournament. That's the Dayton Flyers. Our next question is from Owen O'Mara, and it's John. Can UConn, led by Vital and Booknight, make a run to the American title and crash dance? Absolutely. I think Dan Hurley has rallied UConn over the last couple of weeks. I felt after going to a UConn practice in the preseason that UConn was an NIT team, but the American Conference right now is up for grabs. And remember this, UConn has beaten all three of the top seeds, Houston, Cincinnati, and Tulsa. Next question comes from Max Rash, and it's John. The battle for Atlantis champion has made it to the Final Four in four of the last five seasons. Can Michigan make a Final Four run? Can they? 
Yes. Will they? I probably won't predict that. The key for me in Michigan is Isaiah Livers. If Livers can give them consistent production as a stretch power forward, the Wolverines have a chance to advance. Xavier Simpson battle-tested in the NCAA tournament. The one person who's not really battle-tested for Michigan in the NCAA tournament is Jawan Howard from a coaching perspective. Been there plenty of times as a player, but not since 1994. Steve Hawes with our next question. Who is that team the Blue Bloods don't want to see as the 12 seed? Hint, Akron. East Tennessee State is definitely one to put here. Akron would be as well. But I've got my eyes as well on John Becker's team at Vermont. Anthony Lamb is one of the top players mid-major-wise in college basketball. They were very competitive in a game last year against Florida State. I am keeping a close eye on who draws Vermont in the round of 64 as long as Vermont wins the America East Conference Tournament. Next question comes from at Wixtape, and this is Alex. And it's John, how can the Florida Gators find a way to be consistent, and how will the loss of Kerry Blackshear impact an already depleted front court? Florida came out with a release that Blackshear's status is obviously questionable for the SEC tournament this week. He suffered an injury against Kentucky. Florida, to me, is a type of team that will be seated anywhere from 7 to 10 in the NCAA tournament and could win their first game and then break open a bracket because Florida's a type of team that could see a Dayton in the round of 32, could see a San Diego State in the round of 32. This is the best part for me about finding out the bracket on Sunday, the combinations, the matchups. It's really, really scintillating. Next up is at Wisdom Wages. It's John, who is your bubble team that, if it makes the tournament, will have the most success? I think it could be UCLA. If UCLA can get into the bracket, UCLA has the chops to win multiple games in the field. This is why. UCLA is proven away from home. They've won at Colorado. They've won at Arizona. They're defending at a high level. But can the Bruins get into the field? To me, if UCLA loses to either Cal or Stanford in the Pac-12 tournament quarterfinals, it could be a very, very tense selection Sunday in Westwood. Smells like lunch. Oh, look at this. Wings, little salad. Smells like some fries here. Oh, yeah, sweet potato. Nothing but the best. Nothing like a little midday nosh right here. Now, let's get into some dime time. This is March. Time now to welcome in lead guard for the ACC regular season champion, Florida State Seminoles, Trent Forrest. And Trent, I got to tell you, we've done a little digging on you, and we have gotten word that before Trent Forrest was Trent Forrest, he was Landon Trent Forrest, named after a character in Little House on the Prairie. My question is, how did Landon Trent Forrest become Trent? Um... I don't know. It just kind of happened. Um, just growing up, nobody ever really called me Landon. It was always Trent or just nicknames my family had for me. So, I mean, it's just something I always, I guess, just kind of came about. Um, my parents, they really didn't call me Landon. It was really like other people that would call me that. Like my aunties would call me that sometimes just messing around. So it was never really kind of what everybody called me, honestly. <laughs> You grew up 85 miles from Florida State's campus. I'm curious, though, when was the first time that Trent Forrest knew that he wanted to be a Seminole? Uh, probably the first game I ever came to here. Um, it was a pretty big game, and just the atmosphere and how the fans were, I mean, it just drew me in. And then, of course, you had the 
the chop going on. So it was just, I mean, a combination of things, just that whole experience. When I came here on my first game, that's kind of when I knew I wanted to be here. And obviously, if you're going to make a commitment to play for Florida State, you have to feel comfortable with the coach that you're going to play for. What was your first impression of Leonard Hamilton? Um, Just the way he was able to kind of just build the trust with me, really, um, and just with my family. I feel like he did a great job of that. And, I mean, that stuck out really the most. It was just easy for him to kind of relate to me and relate to kind of how my family raised me and just how he was brought up, like, you could see a lot of similarities in just, I guess, both of our backgrounds. And, I mean, it just set up and worked out perfectly. Well, it's worked out perfectly for Florida State this season. You clinched an outright ACC regular season title. And we've seen Coach Hamilton build a perennial contender in the ACC without maybe the blue-chip recruits that go to Duke or North Carolina. What do you think makes him such an effective recruiter? Um. Just because he's open and honest with kids, he he shows them how they're going to develop and how they're going to fit in our system. And he, he kind of preaches a point that not too many coaches can do where he can say his 11th and 12th player is going to play at least probably 10 minutes a game. And not too many schools can do that. I mean, when you can go that far into your bench, it really doesn't matter kind of who's starting, who's not starting, but you just know you're going to have the opportunity to do to play, I mean, right away, basically, when you come here, you're going to be able to contribute. And, I mean, he has history of doing that just from my freshman year to even now. I mean, he's going 10 to 12 guys into his rotation, and I feel like a lot of guys are starting to kind of want to play in that type of system because they want to come to college as freshmen and play right away. And we've seen that system have great success in the NCAA tournament the last couple of years. Two years ago, you go to the Elite Eight. Last year, you go to the Sweet 16. Coach Hamilton has said, though, that the only thing missing right now in his coaching career is getting to a Final Four. What would it mean for you to be on the team that took Leonard Hamilton to his first Final Four? Um, it would mean a lot. I feel like this year we've been able to kind of accomplish a lot that hasn't happened for him. I mean, in a while, just with it being the first ever regular season ACC championship this year. And I mean, I think in and out the season, ranked number four, I think that's the highest it's been, I think, since they went to the uh, championship in 72. So, I mean, I feel like we're just building on top of things that he, he hasn't accomplished yet. And I mean, to do that, especially in my life, with it being my last year, I feel like that'll probably be the best thing I could give to him as a player. <laughs> And before, obviously, you can think about going to a Final Four, you have to worry about preparation for this week's ACC tournament. What do you think are the biggest keys for Florida State to play its best basketball now during the most important time of the year? Um, we definitely have to be locked in. Um, I mean, to the little details, the littlest details, because, I mean, at this point, everybody in the ACC, they know who we are, we know who they are. So it's going to just be those little things that's kind of going to set us apart, the kind of get us over the hump this weekend. I mean, you have, you have to be mentally tough to go and play three straight games. I mean, in the ACC, back to back to back like that, it's, it's not easy at all. So just having the mental toughness to kind of block out how your body is feeling and to focus on the little things, that's really what we're going to have to do to win it all. Well, Trent, final thing right now. Food is a very big part of the show. It's a big part of my life. If Trent Forrest could have one meal, where would it be? What would it be? Um, it would definitely be back home for my mom, <laughs> probably her taco salad, um, 
that would probably be my one meal that I would want. Just her taco salad, the way she makes it with Doritos and just the different chips she's put in it. That would probably be my one meal. <laughs> well, the Forest House will definitely be making plenty of taco salads if Florida State basketball continues to play the way it has this year. Trent, congratulations <laughs> on winning an ACC regular season title. Congrats on a great career. Best of luck moving forward in the postseason. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, that's Florida State lead guard Trent Forrest. Again, thanks for dining with us here on Stuffed. No, March Madness always makes me so hungry. It feels like sundown on Yom Kippur. Nice wings. Looks solid. Not too much sauce. Oh, that's a good wing. That is a good wing. Hope their napkins in this bag, otherwise the suit could be in trouble. Dry cleaning always goes through the roof in March. I've got a pretty good account of the dry cleaners. Hmm. Sweet potato fries. Tremendous. Hmm. Very good. Let's get to some elevator pitches. See what the folks got this week. Here's my elevator pitch for you, John. John Rothstein, appetite of a bear before hibernation. I like that. It's authentic. It's on brand. This guy's a fan of stuffs, and that makes us a fan of you. Good job out of you. Yo, ready to roll. This is March. Time now for a special guest on this week's Hustle Mania Hotline. I knew this guy when he is the rising star in the bracketology profession, often imitated, never duplicated, Brad Wachtel. My only question is this, how does one become a bracketologist? So it started back in 2005, right after I graduated from Rutgers University. I've always been a diehard college basketball guy, and it takes me back to my, days, club. my, my days in middle school where... Teacher was teaching class. I was sitting there writing down how many college basketball team names I could actually list. I got pretty far. I didn't get everyone, but I got far. Uh, so back in 2005, I started putting together my own spreadsheet. And really, I didn't become a bracketologist until the website bracketmatrix.com uh, came out and started collecting all these bracketologists from around the country. And, and actually, uh, Hofstra, current Hofstra assistant coach, Mike Farrelly, is the one that got me onto that website. So I really appreciate that. Uh, and, and from there, it's been like a competition. So I, I've always been on it and try to beat everybody else. Well, you've been extremely accurate in a lot of your projections. How do you explain that? Well, I, I feel like my background in working in college basketball helps me a little bit. Um, I don't think that's the, the entire reason. I think uh, the way I do it is I'm comparing resumes uh, Team, a team that's a three seed and a four seed. Let's compare them res resumes. Let's put them back to back. Mm -hmm. Who has the better record in quadrant one uh, as opposed to, you know, the team right below them? But it's not just the better, better record in quadrant one because, for example, a team like, you take a team like Butler in Wisconsin, who I have as I have Wisconsin as a four seed and Butler as a five seed, uh, even though Butler has the better record in quadrant one, they're 10 and six, Wisconsin's nine and eight, Wisconsin has the better high end wins. Right. So they will get the edge. So it's not just a matter of reading numbers and uh, you know, making decisions like anybody can do it. You have to have a little bit of a, of a mind and pattern recognition uh, to make sure you're doing what you believe the committee is going to do. There's so many different metrics involved in this stuff. When you think about where the committee is right now for the NCAA tournament, what are the biggest things that they value more so than others? 
Well, I definitely think wins against tournament teams is extremely important. Uh, your record against Quadrant 1 teams. Uh, I also think it's extremely important to have a, a solid net. Uh, the team with the worst net that got in last year was St. John's at 73, and they only got in because they had some high-level victories. Right. Uh, so you've got to have the wins. Uh, if you have some key wins away from home, for example, a team like Xavier who won at Seton Hall, and that's really their only major win. They beat Providence at home as well. Uh, but if you could get that win away from home against a high-level team, that's going to open up some eyes to the committee. Well, let's get to the bubble right now because that's what everybody wants to talk about this week. Give me right now Brad Wachtel's last four in, first four out. So my last four in are Indiana, Xavier, Wichita State, and Richmond. Okay. Uh, first four out, NC State, UCLA, Texas, and Cincinnati. All right. Well, if UCLA and Texas each win a game in their respective tournaments, what happens then? So if UCLA and Texas win games, the, the thing is, with the bottom of my last teams in, they can jump right. uh, Richmond and Wichita State because those teams, there are not many opportunities in their conference tournaments. Even though Wichita State isn't a solid league, they're only guaranteed to get one team into the NCAA tournament as of today. So it's possible if NC State, UCLA win a couple games, they can definitely jump them. All right, let's talk about the one seeds right now. Dayton has definitely been put in the driver's seat here after San Diego State losing. As long as Dayton wins the Atlantic 10 tournament, will they be on the one line? Where on the one line? Yeah, they will be on the one line. Uh, right now I have them as the number one seed in the East region. Okay. Uh, obviously Kansas is going to be number one overall, even if they lose their first game in the Big 12 tournament. Gonzaga is going to be a one seed. I thought if they had lost last night yeah. to San Francisco, it's possible they could have gotten bumped. But they'll be a one seed. And then my last one is Baylor. Uh, and now Baylor has 11 quadrant one wins. And, you know, even if they do lose in their conference tournament, when you start comparing resumes, their resume is still better than sure. a team like Florida State. So I think they're relatively safe. Um, and those are my four ones at the moment. If Dayton were to lose in the Atlantic 10 tournament, is there any team other than Florida State that could jump up to the one line right now? I still think it could be San Diego State. Okay. I think that's a possibility. Uh, San Diego State's resume as a whole is actually better than Dayton's. Mm -hmm. They have some wins over some upper echelon uh, teams in the NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, Dayton is a great team. If you watch them play, they have Final Spectacular. Four, they Spectacular have final four team. potential. Uh, but, but, but I do think, you know, if Florida State wins the ACC tournament and a lot of other things happen, do they have a chance? Maybe. Uh, but I don't think that's likely to happen. All right, final thing, as you know, food is a big part of my life. It's a big part of this show. If Brad Wachtel could have one thing to eat while he's crunching numbers and putting together brackets, where would it be? What would it be? And it might be at home because you need to have takeout because you're working so much. It, it's true, but there is a local restaurant by me. It's in Cranford, New Jersey. It's called Tristina's Italian Restaurant. Ooh. My go-to dish, and you got to check it out. How are the portion sizes? Huge. Oh, massive. Chicken marsala, over penny pasta. You start with a little arugula salad, fried calamari, end it with some tartufo. Not going to beat it. I don't think the weight sticks to you like it would stick to me, but I appreciate the recommendation. Congratulations Anytime. on all your success. Look forward to more chats down the line. That's Brad Wachtel, the biggest rising star in the bracketology world. How about now? A couple of late night snacks of our own. Time now for some late-night snacks as we check out what's in my Hulkamania lunchbox today. And when you're getting ready for the NCAA tournament, you want comfort food. So me, I want a little popcorn. So we start right now with a couple of things that you can't get anywhere else. You're looking for a bid steal in the Atlantic 10? Look at Travis Ford's team at St. Louis. The Billikens lost to Dayton twice this year by a combined eight points. One of the games at St. Louis, 
came on a buzzer beater by Jalen Crutcher. St. Louis is the one team that is positioned to potentially beat Dayton at the Atlantic 10 tournament. If seats hold, that game would take place on Saturday at the Barclays Center. Another game to watch this week, Texas and Texas Tech in the Big 12 tournament quarterfinals on Thursday in Kansas City. Texas took a snow day against Oklahoma State, which is pretty tough to do in Austin during the first couple of weeks of March, and now put themselves into a situation where they have to beat the Red Raiders and Chris Beard on a neutral court to get into the NCAA tournament. The loser of this game will likely miss the field of 68. That's a storyline. Something else to chew on right now? Virginia had the same amount of ACC wins this season, 15, as Louisville and Duke, but the Cavaliers only average 57 points a game. This is lightly salted. It's very good. That's unbelievable, especially when you consider that Virginia lost. Jack Salt, Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, DeAndre Hunter from last year's team that won a national championship. I don't know if I'm anxious. I don't know if I'm excited. I have all these emotions going through me right now because we are on the cusp of the greatest month we have in sports. Upsets, 12-5s, 13-4s, round of 32 shockers. It's all coming on the horizon. And if you like it or you don't like it, college basketball is the best thing going today. And I said it last week that I'm determined to bring you the best possible content each and every episode. But the next time I have an opportunity to bring you that content, we will have a bracket. We will have 68 teams. And if you're not excited right now, you simply hate fun. Remember to follow me on social media, at John Rothstein on Twitter, and also at John.Rothstein on Instagram. We're not talking about kickball here. We are talking about the 2020 NCAA tournament. And remember, keep some things on standby. You might get a little hungry. If you like this episode, give us a thumbs up. Click here to subscribe. The story all of a sudden right now, and it will continue up until the brackets come out on Sunday night, isn't necessarily going to be whether or not San Diego State winds up as the two in the West region, which I've been thinking about for the last 13 days. It's about are we going to have...